Welcome to Ticket to Fly, the USA Nordic podcast, bringing you news and features from the world of ski jumping and Nordic combined. I'm Tom Kelly, and we're happy to have you join us for this week's episode. We're midway through a tumultuous World Cup season and less than a month away from the World Championships in Oberstdorf, Germany. One of the biggest storylines of the World Cup so far has been the surprise performance of Norway's Halvor Egner Granerud, who holds a solid lead in the title chase over Germany's Martin Eisenbeekler with a remarkable six victories in 14 individual competitions. Granerud was just off the podium opening weekend and then strung together five straight victories to soar into the lead. This past weekend in Zakopane, teammate Marius Lindvik jumped to a career-first victory for Norway. Going into this weekend in Lati, Finland, Norway holds a slim lead over Poland in the Nations Cup standing. So what's the story behind Granerud's success and the strength of the Norwegian team this year? This week, our Ticket to Fly guest is Norwegian ski jumping head coach Alex Stokel. A native of Austria, Stokel became passionate about ski jumping as a young boy, but really found his calling as a coach. Working up through the ranks of the Austrian ski team, he eventually found a home in Norway a decade ago and has developed what is now the top team in the world. If you're a ski jumping coach or even just a fan of the sport, you'll find this an insightful interview between Alex Stokel and Ticket to Fly host Peter Graves. What was it like to transition from Austria into literally the birthplace of Nordic sport in Norway? What techniques has he employed to nurture a diverse collection of athletes to become the top team in the world? We found Alex to be a brilliant yet humble individual who was eagerly willing to share his thoughts with the greater ski jumping family. Sit back and relax as Peter Graves dives in with Norwegian ski jumping head coach Alex Stokel in this episode of Ticket to Fly. Hello again, everybody. It's Peter Graves, and welcome to Ticket to Fly. It is the weekly international news magazine of ski jumping. And today we have a special guest with us, and that is Alexander Stokel a native-born Austrian who is now the head coach of the powerful uh, Norwegian team. Alex, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. I'm guessing you're in Lati today, is that right? Uh, No, not yet. Um, We will go there on Thursday. Okay. Well, Alex, I'd like to get to know you from sort of the beginning. As I said, you're a native-born Austrian. Where did you grow up and what was your what was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up in a small town uh, which is called uh, Sankt Johann uh, in Tyrol, which is uh, mm-hmm. close to Kitzbühel. I think most people are familiar with that place because they have this uh, Hanenkam race, the downhill uh, alpine race. So I live pretty close to that place. And um, um, well, my childhood was uh, pretty good, actually. I was really, I have a brother. We lived together with our family in the house. And uh, I was introduced to ski sport uh, quite early. It's uh, like it is the case also in Norway, I, the same in Austria, that you, you nearly get born with skis. <laughs> so, right. so I actually started with alpine skiing uh, first when I was four four years old, I guess. And at the age of nine nine years, I, I saw somebody jumping in the ski in the small ski jump in Sankt Johan, and I thought uh, this would 
this might also be fun. So I started with the ski jumping. I just went there and jumped with my alpine skis and thought this was much more fun than just going down the hill uh, to lift off. And uh, and I really enjoyed that. So so that was my my start and and my yeah, my childhood years in 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 uh, Sankt Johan in Tirol. Yeah, Saint Johan is a, is a lovely place. Then uh, you made the national team. Uh, you had a few World Cup starts. What was your national team career like in Austria? Well, I was in the in the B team. I was never in the A team in the national uh, top level uh, team. But I joined, as you said, I, I took part in some World Cup competitions. I have actually one World Cup point, which is from uh, 1993 in Kulm in the ski flying. I got the 15th place there. At that time, it was only points up to 15. Now it's points to 30. So that was actually my best year, 1993. And um, But afterwards, I, I didn't manage to, to keep up my level. And uh, a year later, I actually decided to quit my active career and, and start uh, studying. And you went to university and, and maybe uh, tell me this. And then did you work with the Austrian team before you came to Norway or, or fill in that period of your life? Yeah, when I started studying in 94, uh, to earn some money besides my studies, I actually started working as a coach for for the ski club in Kitzbühel. They also have a ski jumping team there. So I worked with kids and I realized quite early that this this work, you know, giving somebody to the, something to the next generation is very fulfilling. So I really enjoyed the work with the kids there. Uh, one year later, I got the opportunity to work with the reg- regional team, which is uh, Tirol, uh, the county. A year later, I actually got asked if I would be the assistant coach for the Austrian team. The first year together with Andreas Felder, that was 96 mm-hmm. to 97. And then from 97 to 99 with Mika Koyankowski. He was the Austrian head coach at that time before he actually went uh, back to Finland and then to Norway. So he was actually also my predecessor here in Norway. Mm-hmm. After that, in 2000, I went to the Ski Gymnasium, which is a school for, for winter sports in Austria, very famous school. And I worked there as a coach and as an educator for uh, 10 years with some extra roles like a B team assistant coach, C team coach. So it was always connected to the Austrian to the Austrian team in some way. With the... The studying you've done, and that sounds like a wonderful progression of a ski coaching career. Do do you consider yourself a bit of a, a an academic kind of person who has has gotten into coaching? Do do you look at training concepts deeply and and team building things deeply? I wonder how that uh, your past has affected the present. Well, during my studies, I studied sports, uh, sports science and uh, economics, which was a quite interesting combination at that time. It was uh, it was started in 1992, and uh, I thought it was interesting, kind of sports management was something new at that time, but uh, it seems to be more and more relevant. Um, what I took with me from the studies was actually the background knowledge and, and you know, the, the bit the scientific approach. I think um, this is a... This is part of the game nowadays. The sport has developed uh, to such a level where you actually need some some academic background and, and you need science as a part of, of daily development, uh, especially concerning training methods or equipment development. So we work together with a lot of scientists and, and universities uh, like the university here in, in Norway. And, um, and therefore, it's, it was really 
it was good for me to to you know get this part of the game also not only being coach and, and learning by doing learning by experience with with my work but at the same time actually getting some some real you know scientific input from the university yeah interesting and so now uh after your work with the the uh, legendary mika koyankowski uh uh you have been, uh, I guess, a little bit over ten years the head coach of Norway. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. It's it's my tenth year now this year, actually. So, given that you now are immersed in the Norwegian milieu, and and that you grew up as an Austrian, do the two countries who both love ski jumping, yeah. do you think they have different approaches? In, in in mentality about how they look at the sport um i wouldn't say so. well the one big difference is is the tradition of the sport you know norway invented ski jumping it was back in the early 1800s um, i think the first world record or the first recorded length was three meters by by a military um marshal um uh I think it was who set the first uh, mark by three meters or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of in the beginning, ski jumping was more of a physical exercise for for people skiing, and it developed to to a sport. And then it was taken taken all over the world with uh, professional ski jumpers who actually went to the USA uh, as a, as some kind of show jumpers. Mm-hmm. And That's right. um, yeah, and then also to Middle Europe uh, with with competitions. Then it developed. First of all, was the the Holmen Cold Ski Festival, which is once a year, uh, which was a, an enormous big event. And um, and then uh, we got the World Cup competitions. Uh, then we got the World Championships, Nordic World Championships. Then we got part of the Olympic movement. So so Norway has an extremely long history of ski jumping, and history is always. Uh, makes things a bit more difficult when you when you're talking development because people tend to stick to what we have done before. You know, Austria is uh, entered the game later. It was in the 60s, 70s when the first real good jumpers came up, and they had a, a head coach who was very in- innovative. And um, and this this kind of this culture of innovation was there from the beginning. So that's what made the Austrians so strong over many, many years. Whereas Norway was always a bit more conservative against new ideas. They were strongly against the V-style, for example. For example. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, it actually it took some, some time for me to, to get used to this, this, uh, yeah, this culture and try to, try to change something, try to get people to be more open. And uh, luckily we have a sports chief, uh, Klaas Brede Brotten, who is also very offensive and he's also trying to develop the sport uh, he has been in foreign countries often enough to see where where the things are going and, and what we have to do. So he's he's actually uh, really strong, and, and we are trying to to get the people here in the ski jumping family in Norway to to see that it's important to develop all the time. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about uh, because so much work, and this has been part of the success of the U.S. women's cross-country ski team, which has been doing very well as a group lately, is the clubs. Yeah. Uh, all, all of these girls, particularly women, are coming from strong clubs. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about maybe the difference in the club system in Norway versus Austria? Well, for the first uh, first thing is, of course, the 
the amount of ski jumpers or the clubs that you have in Norway. It's it's quite many small clubs working on a on a quite professional level. Of course, it's mostly parents who are who are coaching or or helping at least. And and this, um, I think the the culture of voluntary work has a really really big uh, status in Norway in general. Um, in Austria, it's uh, there are some clubs, but it's it's more kind of centralized. You have some few bigger clubs. I think in Austria, if I if I should guess, it's about twenty five clubs in Austria in ski jumping. Whereas in Norway, you have for sure I don't know one hundred or more different clubs uh, with ski jumping. We have over one hundred ski jumping hills, which are whole year uh, hills where you can also jump on plastic in summer. So the club work is is of course always very important because that's where the next generation you know comes from. Absolutely. And now going a little bit more towards the present time, it certainly seems that you have been building a team, building a world class team. As we all know, takes a, a great deal of patience. Uh, you have to keep your eye on the prize, of course, but uh, it takes time. So. You now have three, four athletes, maybe more, who are really starting to excel, not only individually, but as a team. And and I do want to spend some time talking about uh, Grand Rud uh, particularly, but uh, how have you gone about creating a stronger team over the period of the last couple of years? You, you have... Uh, a number of people, Johansson and Lindvik and etc. So, how do you how do you address that? Well, first of all, I think the most important thing was was in the beginning that I tried to implement a bit of a different training philosophy. Um, you know, from from my from my previous work in Stams, where I worked with uh, kids from the age from fifteen to nineteen, so I had a lot of experience on how to develop this this age group. Uh, I had the impression that this was uh, not so big of a focus here in, in Norway. It was just more, most important that the kids start to jump on big hills as early as possible. Whereas I was looking a bit more on a long-term development. You, you can see it like this long-term athlete development uh, concept from, from Canada mm-hmm. to make sure that the basics are in place before the athletes actually you know, uh, progress to the next level. And this took, of course, some some time. This took some years. Um, we changed the whole uh, coaching uh, education uh, around this concept, and and so the so that those coaches who are working with the kids have kind of the newest knowledge on how to help help kids develop uh, optimal, uh, so that they are suited when they when they meet the the top level and and all the bits and pieces are are in place. And and this is something that took yeah took some years. But um, luckily, we can see that now that we have, uh, we get something out of it. We have more athletes that are are on a, on a more stable, higher level. Uh, our challenge was was always that we had athletes that were jumping really good in, in in a few competitions or in some in a short period, maybe over one season, which was Anders Bardal, who was the last guy who won the World Cup overall mm-hmm. uh, some years ago. But otherwise, it had always been athletes that were, you know, jumping good in one competition and then totally off the next one. So they were lacking stability. And this was due to the, the lack of, of basic skills, in my opinion, that the athletes were not able to adapt to different hills. They were not able to adapt to changes in the equipment rules or development in the equipment. So it was really important to, you know, to make the, the athletes more flexible by giving them a better 
basic package and and this this is something we are we are gaining something from this now i feel that the this generation who is coming up with uh, granerud linvik uh, jonsen is for sure an older athlete but he has also right. developed quite much in the in the past, in the last years but you can see that they are better suited to to actually you know jump good in different different hills on the different conditions so so that makes us stronger as a team in my opinion yeah and being I mean, being flexible is so important, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. to modern totally. athletics. And, and particularly in this year, I mean, we've never, and it's true for all sports, we've never had anything like this COVID thing. No. You know, we, uh, the trainers, uh, the people who are involved with the program have even maybe more pressure to create some level of normalcy. Yeah. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I earlier this year, you know, I, we talked to uh, Mackenzie, and he said, "You know, it's so weird to be jumping without the crowd noise." You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And, yeah, that's and, cool. <laughs> uh, You know, he said it, it, he felt it became even more mental. Yeah. This year than ever before. And I, I'm sure on that point you agree, right? Yeah, I totally agree because I was also I was a bit curious about how things would be when you know you, you do the four hill tournament, and usually when you start in Oberstdorf, you have twenty thousand spectators in the stadium. It's like it's a huge crowd. It's totally packed. It's full. It's noisy. Uh, the crowd is cheering for every long jump. And then you get there this year, and the stadium is empty, and it's like a training session. Yeah. And then suddenly you hear the athletes talking and, and kind of, you know, and, and the smallest noise is suddenly a disturbance because, yeah. of, because of this. So, so I, I, I can imagine that it's, it's a, it's a totally different approach for, for the athletes at the moment. Yeah. And the way with so little sound, it can pick up on television, the, the, yeah, yeah. any kind of comment that an athlete might make. But yeah. so anyways, COVID we hope with the advent of, vaccines coming and getting into arms soon that hopefully and we pray that will be this season the last we have to deal with that but yeah, uh, we hope so yeah so I, i'm sort of curious what your work environment is like i know what it's like when you're at the hill mm. but when you're at your desk uh, the shifa bun what uh what's a typical day like for you you spend most of the time on the phone you communicate with athletes uh, you do some politics what what is it like well it's actually a mix of everything you said now <laughs> it's uh, it's of course a huge uh, huge amount of communication with with the athletes and with the coaches um, i don't have the possibility to actually do the daily training with them so it's important for me to have a good connection to those who are who are uh, on the field with with the guys in daily training in summer we have uh, training camps every second to third week throughout the summer uh, where we all meet and where i do the coaching with the athletes but then i have to be of course well informed in those periods where the athletes are training uh, daily with their with their daily coach uh, of course it's politics concerning budgeting concerning uh, how we can present ourselves inside the federation and also in the public um, it's a lot of uh, presentations for sponsors, for external people. So I have to prepare, you know, some kind of keynotes. So basically, it's the, the time I'm at home. It's it's a lot of office work. Um, so I, I'm always, when the summer is over, I'm always really keen on getting to the hill and, you know, being there 
and, and standing there and, and, and coaching the athletes uh, because that's what I actually love to do. I've been to Norway a lot uh, for events and, and understand uh, how the fans are have a air of expectation about doing yeah. well. It's in the blood. So, Alex, do you feel pressure from from newspapers, from television, or from the fans to keep this pipeline that you've got going? And I realize you have to enjoy the moment. And mm. right now, your moment is pretty darn good, <laughs> uh, to say the least. But but do you know what I mean? Do you do you feel some inherent pressure, or uh, how do you deal with that if there is pressure? Well, I'm, I, I always try to f focus on on the development of the athletes. So I'm I'm not I'm not following the news or media to a to a large extent. Actually, I'm, of course, you know, you you read something or you hear something on TV when things are going well or when things are not going so good. Uh, the most important thing is that I have a really good, uh, uh, a very loyal team behind me. So if things are not working too well. There's nobody sticking the knife in my back because we know we're all in this together. It's it's our project and we try to help every single athlete. And, and there is some periods where things are not, not going so well, where other nations are working as at least as hard as we are uh, with the same resources. So we have to live with some uh, bad competitions or maybe some bad years. But uh, all in all, I don't I don't feel so much of a pressure because I know that my my work is is appreciated. Uh, inside the federation, uh, it's appreciated by my co-workers and it's appreciated by by the athletes, and that's the most important thing for me. And as as long as this is the case, then I can live with the pressure from from external people like media or sponsors. That's that's part of the game. Yeah, and, and that seems like a really mature approach. I only know you a little bit, seeing you a few years ago on the Four Hills. You're you. You're a pretty composed, man. You're you're uh, not too reactive, and and those I think are really good skills for dealing with athletes. Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get advice from maybe uh, Mika or I don't know, like Tony Inauer or any of these guys? Does anybody ever call you and say, "Hey"? Good job, or you know, what do you think about this? <laughs> well, I'm 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 in contact with with those people you said now, like with with uh, Tony Inawa. He's working for the German. He's working for German TV, so he asks me every now and then about how things are going, and and it's always it's always a really nice discussion uh, with him, and also with Mika when I meet him. I I hope I meet him now in Lahti, um, because those are people who have you know they have huge experience in ski jumping and, and in different fields, which, which is always, it's always nice to, to talk to somebody who has a different point of view. Uh, so, so everybody, I always say that every person I meet is somehow a mentor because he has a different perspective on things. And if I, if I get some, some input or if I get some questions that make me think, then this is, this helps me in my personal development and maybe also the development of our team. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that sounds wonderful. And, you know, we know that this is a very special global community in ski jumping. Yeah. For the most part, of course, it's obvious that we're all trying to beat each other. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there is 
there's an inherent closeness yes. um, and respect uh, to, to people, you know, yeah. and, and I think I think that's a really uh, quite a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. We always we call it our ski jump. We call it the ski jumping family, and that's what it basically is. You have to. I think people are clever enough inside our sport. They are humble enough to realize that we are a small niche sport. You know, we, it's it's not a world sport. We are trying to develop. We're trying to take small steps, and we have to do this together. And every every kind of fantastic moment we manage to deliver, no matter who wins is a is a success for our sport and that's what makes it so so much fun to travel together with this you know group of i don't know 150 people and try to to deliver fantastic moments for those people watching in the stadium and for those people watching on tv and no matter who wins in the end uh, it's it's always it's it's a big respect to to those people who win and it's a big respect for everyone who puts down the work so it doesn't matter if you come from a small team like Kazakhstan or if you or from the US at the moment it's still a small team but it seems that there is some development everybody's appreciated in this in this ski jumping family because everybody's trying to to be part of something that we believe is can be a, a huge sport and a huge entertainment in the future. You know, absolutely. I, I I love your comments on this and you know looking back on on the history of of the sport in in the U.S. Of course, we've had several uh, foreign coaches: Kari Iliantala, yeah. uh, Erling Ramslotten, um, mm. who undoubtedly you know, and uh, Seppo Hoyvinen, and, and 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 there have been others over time, and each imparts a special thing about love of sport and yeah. and all of that. So so here we are amidst this uh, challenging season and your results have been great has been noted previously tell me a little bit about the rise of uh, Hovar Granerud it's been uh, it's been a fabulous season for him a little bit of difficulties uh, in Zakopane but mm. uh, still leading the world cup tell me I, I don't want to say because it would be inaccurate to say he came from nowhere. But <laughs> but what what's happening this year, Alex? That is so extraordinary. As it seems for people who don't kind of he has never been really big so far, but he has always been close. He had really good results two years ago. He was I think his best uh, result was a fifth place or something. So he was close to the podium. Um, but but we always we have always seen the potential in him because last year was a really bad season for him. Um, he's, he was uh, he started the summer actually quite okay, but towards the autumn two years ago he he lost his uh, he lost his path technically, and uh, then he got really nervous because we were getting closer to the start and to we had to pick a team, and uh, that's where things just went totally wrong for him. And it took him one year to find out or one one winter actually and then the start of the next of this year's summer to find out what what's the what's the parts missing and what what, what does he have to work on so we just we sat down and we we made a plan for him and we we told him what we believe are those missing links that his technique gets more and more stable and then he developed really nice over the summer and um, did an amazing job and um, then he was just improving towards the autumn. He was not never the best athlete, but he was very stable among among the best. 
And then in the last competition, our national championships on the normal hill in Mitzdua, he came second. And that was just because he didn't make a nice telemark. So he was behind uh, Daniel Tande, who was jumping really good at that point. And uh, the week after, he developed even more. And then we started the season in Wisla, and then things just took off. And and what amazes me about him now is that he's still, he's he's not, uh, he has not changed. He has not changed as a person. He has not changed in his approach. He's still working uh, the same way. He's still trying to develop those small things to to maybe get even better. He's very cautious and, and reactive if things change he, he tries to you know compare how things have been this competition what have i done different he has he takes notes on different hills like what what is the the approach when we go to Lachtenau? so he has notes from last year because he has been there before so he's very yeah really really professional in in everything he's doing and that makes him so strong i think you know, uh, uh, in the earlier part of this season, when he, he started off so well, as did Eisenbeekler, yeah. for example, uh, yeah. uh, w- one of the things, uh, themes that I picked up on from from the FIS press service that he wasn't, uh, he would say, I'm really not entirely sure what's happening. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> to me, that's a fascinating concept. And, yeah. and actually, in our last show, I talked to, um, you may remember the name, Mike Holland. Yeah, sure. Uh, who won yeah. at Bishop Sylphen in 1989. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about, uh, and I'm, I'm sort of curious uh, on the take as it pertains to Granerud. Sometimes you can't put it into words. It, yeah. it is, somebody might say, oh, you're crazy to compare golf to ski jumping. But it in, in kind of mentality, yeah. when you're hitting that long drive, when your short yeah. game is good, you're not entirely sure biomechanically what's happening. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I totally, yeah, I know what you mean. And I totally agree. Golf is a really good comparison because it's, you know, when you start the swing, you're done. There's no chance to change anything. And that's the same with the movement in ski jumping. When you start the takeoff movement or when you leave the bar, actually, things are on its way. And you can just you can just try to, you know, you have this mental picture of what you want to do. And you have one task you try to focus on and then and you deliver on the takeoff. And from that point on, it's just minimizing or, or compensating those small mistakes you make on takeoff. So things are just, you know, you're done. It's a closed, it's a closed loop. You can't, you can't do anything while when you're starting the takeoff movement because it's three tenths of a second this movement. So, so I and golf is a really good comparison. And there, there are quite many ski jumpers who are actually playing golf, and you can see that they make the same mental mistakes like they are doing, like they are doing in ski jumping on their way up. You know that you think, oh, right. now, now I've got, I got it. Now I got, I, I got the movement, and then you try a bit harder or a bit different and and things are totally off and you can you can not explain why things are working and you cannot explain why things are not working and that's the same in ski jumping so i think it's a really humble approach by by halvoid that even though he's at the moment the world's best ski jumper over a long period that he's still saying that i'm i'm not really sure why and I, I i'm still working to find out because that may that might keep him on his on his toes and and might keep him to to work uh, hard enough to to actually keep the level 
You know, this this segues into another point that I wanted to ask you, and that is the role of sports psychology. Uh, It's not new. People have been doing it probably for more than 20 years, Mm. uh, maybe 30. I don't know. But how valuable is it to have an active and, and, and good sports psychologist working with your jumpers? That's uh, crucial, I would say. <clears throat> it's um, in every technical sport. It's, it's important to have somebody to to have to take to help the athletes to to get this mental state you need to perform on a high level. Uh, and the more technical a sport, the more body movement is involved. The more important it is, in my opinion. Um, and ski jumping is is a is a very very technical sport. So you can, it's not so it's physical, of course. You have to have uh, power. To, to leave the takeoff, uh, to jump as high as possible from the takeoff. But it's not necessarily the guy jumping highest, jumping longest. So the, the physical part is important, but the, the, the technical part is much more important. And, um, and therefore, it's, it's really crucial that the athlete has a, a good mental picture and that he's not disturbed by anything happening around. And that's, you know, a big competition. You know, the consequences about uh, if, you, if you make a short jump, you're gone. It's money involved. It's those external factors that you just have to, you know, deal with. And, and, and therefore, you need, you need somebody to give the athletes the right tools to deal with those situations. Yeah, fascinating. So, so my guess is that you work on this very regularly, if not daily, certainly many days of the week. Is that right? Well, my part is the coaching with the athletes, which is somehow right. a bit uh, psychological also, but we have one specialist who is working for us for our from our Olympic uh, team. And he is in contact with the athletes if they if they need him. It's kind of, uh, we don't force anybody to, to use this uh, possibility, but most athletes actually have, have a conversation with him every once in a while uh, during the season. And we have some sessions uh, during the camps in summer, uh, where they can learn about different uh, tools to, you know, to be mentally prepared for the big competitions. Fair enough. <clears throat> Let's talk about uh, the 22-year-old Marius mm. Linvik, uh, who got his third World yeah. Cup win last week. What are your impressions of him? Well, he's a very young, um, young athlete still. Uh, he's uh, very, very offensive in his technique. Um and that's, in my opinion, the future of ski jumping. This uh, really, you know, extremely offensive takeoff, takeoff movement, trying to get to this flying position as fast as possible without losing any speed. And he's uh, on his best days. He's really strong, and that makes him that makes him very special. But he's still, as I say, he's still young, uh, training-wise young, and also mind-wise young. So he makes he still makes mistakes. He's not uh, the most professional athlete we have, so he has a lot to learn. But he has developed well, and he's he's more stable this year than he was last year. And he has, for sure, he's one of those guys who has this huge potential to be strong over many years if he, you know, if he works hard enough on, on the right uh, parts. And then, of course, uh, somebody that, that uh, I I like a lot, and that is the mustachioed <laughs> Robert Johansson, third last week. He, he's a special guy. Uh, I I like his sense of humor. He brings a, an air of just enjoying yeah, the sport. I totally agree. He is uh, he's one of those athletes who actually, in my opinion, does not have this, you know, the greatest potential of all. 
he has taken small steps over many, many years to get to this uh, point where he is now. So he's kind of this hardworking, hardworking athlete with, with average uh, skills. But he has developed all his skills over such a long time that the package is good enough to actually win World Cup competitions and to be on the very top and to jump the world record like he did in, in Likushin some years ago. So, so we kind of we have different types, and that's also important. We have different personalities in our team, and he's uh, he's kind of a father figure. He's the oldest, and he's he's taking this role. So he's also giving something to the next generation, and um, and he's a really he's a really nice guy. It's always it's always fun to work with him. Yeah, I I think that uh, there's such value in having multiple ages that are are on a national team and performing that well um, because uh, I, I I like that you say father figure because he seems that type. And not only is he still getting good results, but he's playing another role that I think is so important. If, if you only have uh, just young hotshots, it, it can be a challenge in management, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's really important to have a good mixture. And the good thing about this, our, our culture in the team is that everybody, everybody, uh, gets his spot. Uh, it's, it, we have the guys have huge respect to each other. Kind of that people are different. Um, we cope really well. Um, it's it's always fun to travel with the team. You know, it's we travel maybe I don't know 180 days per year together. Living in, in the guys are living in double rooms, and the and the nice thing is that you you just you know you just throw a key of a double room to one guy, and then the next guy goes together with him in the room. So they can shift rooms and, and be together over a long time, and it's it's no problem because there's uh, appreciation for the differences, which which I think is really important. Because as for example with uh, Johansson, I think you also get something from those younger guys from the next generation because he doesn't forget where he actually came from by watching those younger guys. Yeah, well, well said. Let me ask you this. Uh, midway through this season, a world championship season at Oberstdorf uh, that is going to also be uh, held uh, without the benefit of spectators there at all. So far, Alex, what would you say is your proudest career achievement as a coach for Norway? Oh, <laughs> that is that is hard hard to tell because there has been so many so many nice moments and it's 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 not always connected to to the medal or or the first place or or a team victory it's more connected to the achievement of the athlete you know this personal achievement where you can where the most enjoyable moments are those where where i'm part of this this incredible satisfaction when an athlete reaches his personal goal and this might be a 15th place or or a 10th place or or a victory or a gold medal in the olympics that makes no difference it's it's more these these moments so it's it's really hard to tell which of them was best i would say one one fantastic moment was uh, rune velta when he took the gold medal in the world championships in falun in the normal hill because that was out of his potential and and like he's also one of those guys who is not so talented but he was an extremely hard worker so he managed to get all the way up and take a gold medal in the 90 meter hill that was a fantastic moment for us as a as a coach coaching team and and for for the whole team actually to see that 
it's not always about the talent. It's it's really about the hard work. And and he managed to to show this to everybody else that that it's it's possible. And one of the things uh, that you're hearing uh, to our listeners is the work of somebody who's very impressive as a coach, who's extremely humanistic, which I think fits very well into the Norwegian paradigm. And you're also hearing a coach, a trainer, talking about more than just an Olympic gold medal. I think your your skill set is quite extraordinary, Alex. And, and that makes for, to my mind, a, a really complete coach and also one that I think people in the English speaking world should know more about because, because you're, uh, and I, I don't want to lavish praise on you that's undeserved, but you deserve a great deal of praise, I think, for the way you conduct yourself. It's just, um, it's quite moving to me to hear that, Alex. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I just uh, really appreciate you're taking the time with all the busyness going on. So on the weekend at Hwati, uh mm-hmm. of course, uh, you've got Hover going to be jumping, uh, uh, let's say, Johan Forfang, Tanda mm-hmm. Thomas, uh, uh, Linvik. Anybody yes. else uh, jumping? Uh, Johansson? Johansson. No, that's the, t- it's, it's the same team that was in, uh, in Zakopane last weekend. So it's those those six guys you just uh, said. Yeah. Do you feel at this point in the year they're getting tired or stressed a little bit or not not no. unduly? No. No, they're they're you know when things are going well, the, the motivation usually stays high. Uh, it seems that they are they are really enjoying that that things are working so well. Of course, we have some troubles with uh, with Johan Forfang. He has not managed to to reach his potential this uh, season. So he's working hard and the team is working hard to get him on a higher level but the rest the rest of the guys are are you know they are keen on competing as many competitions as possible and and we all of us are really thankful for the opportunity to to actually compete every weekend because not every sport has this this possibility the international ski federation and all the organizers have done a fantastic job throughout the season to really provide us with good competitions without spectators. This is a huge uh, effort and a huge effort also with this uh, bubble concept where we, you know, we are isolated from everybody else and we have to take COVID tests every third day. So it's it's a lot of logistics and planning and, and a big investment for everybody, but it, it helps that our sport survives through those difficult times. And we are just extremely thankful that we can show the world that we we can continue with our work and with delivering good moments for those people who are maybe sitting at home and 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 cannot do everything at the moment so so our i think it's 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 somehow it's it's a, a duty for us to to actually deliver those moments to those people who are interested in our sport well it's such a pleasure to talk to you uh, alex wishing you good luck uh not only this week, but at the Worlds and the rest of the season. Um, Thank Thank you you, uh, so much for talking to us. You're welcome. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. You're so welcome. So that is Alex Stokel. Uh, For over 10 years, he has been at the helm of the Norwegian ski jumping team, and nobody would argue with the success he has had, nor his goodness as a person. 
Thanks for joining us. We'll talk ski jumping again. I'm Peter Graves. What great insights Alex Stokel shared with us on Ticket to Fly this week. He's truly a wonderful leader and an integral part of the ski jumping family. If you enjoyed this episode of Ticket to Fly, please help by hitting the like button and also subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. That way you'll be sure to get every episode delivered directly to you. Stay tuned on Ticket to Fly for our next episode with Nordic Combined World Cup leader Tara Garrity Motes on the eve of the women's debut at the upcoming World Championships. For your host, Peter Graves, I'm Tom Kelly. Thanks for joining us on USA Nordic's Ticket to Fly podcast.